0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about existing home sales and purchase app. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It
1: is wonderful to be here, Sarah, after a very interesting existing home sales report we got this morning. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that existing home sales report from your perspective. Why was it so interesting?
1: We broke under $4 million in the last report, and we went even lower uh, on this report. And the year-over-year price gains were actually picking up. Uh, so there's a lot of confusing uh, headlines uh, on this existing home sales report because we're Pretty much, this is the record low in demand right now because when I look at demand, I also take the civilian workforce, how many people are working, and we're not that far from you know the, the lows we saw in the Great Financial uh, uh, Recession, but here we have over 157 million people working. And home prices actually grew a little bit faster in this report on a year-over-year basis. So we need to explain everything because I think there's a lot of confusion right now with housing and, and how existing home sales report. And I always look at things much differently than uh, than everyone else. So we're gonna we're gonna try to make sense of everything. And have we seen the bottom? Is this it? Is this the low level of existing home sales going out in the future?
0: I think that is a question everybody wants to know, right? It's like, listen, we're almost at Thanksgiving. We have like two days before Thanksgiving. We would like to be turning the corner. We would like to say, yes, the housing market has reached the bottom. Anything else from here is going up. Can you say that?
1: Yes. And in the sense, we have history on our side, but it really revolves around one thing. It revolves around the 10-year yield. You know, uh, eight months ago, I went on CNBC and I said, you know, the entire housing market really revolves around the 10-year-old. Why, Sarah? Why does a 10-year-old matter?
0: Because they've been doing that slow slow dance. dance.
1: Yes, the slow dance with the 30-year mortgage going all the way back to 1971. These are two romantic love partners that stay together. Now, the spreads are wide. So, of course, there's a little bit of a gap between them. But those two have been like this For decades. And what we saw last year in 2022 is how I always describe it. It was the fastest and biggest crash in home sales ever recorded in history. And by the way, I just want to add this that during the time that purchase application data was falling, you know, uh, in the recent months, the Federal Reserve presidents were coming on TV or whatever saying housing demand is recovering. This is what happens when you don't track forward looking, fast data you become old and slow. And We don't want that. We want all of our viewers and readers to understand that being old and slow is a detriment. You want to look forward. And the 10-year yield, the peak forecast for 2025 or 2023 was four and a quarter, seven and a quarter mortgage rates, four and a quarter. Spreads got worse after the banking crisis. And then the Fed went hawkish because for some reason they thought that was the best thing to do at that point. And the 10-year yield Blew a pastor, and during that time frame, majority of the purchase application data was negative. We can't really grow sales in in a meaningful fashion with rates this high. So now we're seeing the aftermath of this is that home sales broke down. Now last year at this time, you know we're talking about threading the needle and, and thinking okay, four million home sales. You know, historically, that's going to be the low level. Mortgage rates went from seven point three seven to five point nine nine. It gave us three months of positive purchase application data now mortgage rates have fallen from eight percent it's gone down to you know 7.35 percent. and so far we've had back-to-back positive prints so we need to follow the weekly data even more because we're already seeing demand pick up like you know that was the the whole point of the the weekend tracker is to get people to read sarah we want people to read <laughs> it's amazing um and then all of a sudden you start to look at here, and now you everyone realize we're at a very low level of sales. So forward-looking data is already getting better. If we get seven, eight, 10, 12, 13 weeks of this, then yeah, because last year we saw demand pick up, very low bar, a bounce, one of the biggest home sale prints ever recorded in history from 4 million to 4.55 million. Right? If we get lower rates with duration, yeah, this is it. But this is the aftermath of what we saw. After the Fed mistake about being hawkish. And yes, the Fed made a terrible mistake. There was no reason whatsoever to do that. And the bond traders went against them. And now that 10 year yield has gone from 5.03% to I think this morning we were at 4.38%. So we're not lower than we were last year, but we need to keep an eye on this. And then every single week we can think about what's going to happen 30 to 90 days from now. Uh, uh, in the forward looking data,
0: so I know um you know we you wrote about the builders and the and the new home sales market last week, but when it comes to existing home sales, those are two very different markets. You look at them differently and you never want people to put them together.
1: yeah, it's kind of we we have a fight club rule on social media. We don't talk about fight club, and we never. Ever, ever mix the new home sales and existing home sales. A lot of people get the mistake. You know, it's it's interesting. A lot of the lot of the misunderstanding from podcast stock traders is that they never understood that the new home sales monthly supply data is just for new homes. They keep on thinking because we had a big spike in monthly supply for new homes, and then all of a sudden we come back here and existing homes wasn't the case. So they don't understand this now. Fred, the the government tracker of data, is finally. Uh, uh, fix this because, of course, stock traders don't read and they, it's, it's like you have to put it down. It's new home sales monthly supply. Existing is different. But existing homes monthly supply, and one of the things I'm trying to train people to read is that monthly supply for existing homes is picking up. Nothing dramatic, but it's picking up. And even though active inventory is uh, down year over year by a little bit, the monthly supply is starting to pick up. This is where people should focus on if the day's on market, they take longer. If homes take longer to sell, 8% mortgage rates, of course, that's the case. Monthly supply can actually grow while active listings are low. And this goes into another huge topic. It was, it was great uh, this morning on Twitter on this. How is it possible that we had more home sales with less inventory? Sarah Wheeler, can you answer that? That's the thing. I'm saying this is one of the more confusing things in housing. And And I'm not a low inventory holding sales back guy. Haven't been for a very long time. But we have like historical data on this. We had more than 2 million home sales higher in the existing home sales market with less inventory. How is that possible? Well, the equilibrium, right? The supply and demand equilibrium. We're trying to teach people this. You list your house. If you get an offer right away, your home's going to sell very quickly. You don't get on that inventory data. If your homes take longer to sell, then that total active listings that the NAR has can grow. And if you go back 13 years, the only time really that the NAR's inventory data really grew, I mean, meaningfully was 2014. In 2014, purchase application data had a big dive. Uh, Home sales were down. We only got 200,000 homes growth, really, in that year. Uh, So this is why trying to teach people that you can have a lot more sales with inventory this low. And we have, it's here, it's everyone could read it. And we saw this, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, whatever. We saw a lot more sales. We're not talking like a couple hundred. We're talking millions of more sales. That's how the supply and demand equilibrium works. So inventory is down year over year on the active side, not a lot, but still negative year over year. But home sales are down, right, because purchase application data is down. Now, if the 10-year yield falls, purchase application data grows, doesn't matter what happens with inventory, sales can pick up. So don't get caught into the, there's no homes to buy. How can sales grow? Home sales were much higher with lower active listing. It's that supply and demand equilibrium, right? Credit channels run inventory channels. If homes are selling faster they can't really get put onto the inventory sales can grow inventory goes nowhere, and this is the whole fight against the mortgage rate lockdown premise about this, which some people are finally coming into my corner that are giving up because inventory picked up uh in November, right uh, not a lot, but uh, uh inventory did pick up on a week to week going into Thanksgiving, which is rare, but as someone like myself who believes higher mortgage rates, inventory can grow. The velocity of inventory this year is very slow. Lower mortgage rates, inventory can flat and go lower. Demand picks up, supply and demand economics, right there.
0: Okay, so when you say something like, "How can sales grow when inventory is so low?", you are going to uh, trigger a lot of people who want to talk about the shadow inventory. So, explain, Logan, why what you are saying is not has nothing to do with the shadow inventory. Okay,
1: just remember the shadow inventory. The shadow, right, um, is a professional grifting tactic done by one group of people, which is the anti... You know what's interesting? The shadow inventory is back again. And you know the shadow inventory was a 2012 test. Do you know how hard it is to promote a lie for 12 years? These people do it, right? Uh, the shadow inventory is a bunch of homes that are sitting there in the shadow that miraculously one day will appear, even though the new listings data won't pick it up. That's That's not it. Um, what I'm talking about is sellers or buyers. When demand picks up, you get more people listing their homes. They sell them. They buy another one, right? Inventory levels don't really change. They can go lower, right? But demand could go much higher. So we see here active inventory is n- negative year over year, but we have huge sales declines. Like we had much lower inventory and we had almost six and a half million. Uh, monthly sale prints now it's just people aren't selling selling and buying first time home buyers aren't buying so the inventory level stays there but you have a lot less sales so different the shadow inventory is something else shadow inventory is more of a home home prices are going to crash everyone would be a scared click my article or youtube page i don't know what i'm talking about but fear sells so that's a whole different you don't just what you want to leave that alone uh, but here it's a little bit different active inventory is low but sales are low Right, and that supply and demand equilibrium, and and we, I get this question a lot when I go out on tour. People go, "How did we have so many home sales with such low inventory?" Well, this is how it works, right? And in, in that context, it hopefully it'll make more sense. But if people are saying that we're there's no way home sales could grow because active inventory is low, what about 2021? What about the early part of 2022 when inventory was lower? Um, it's not the case, and and I think that's that that to me is still one of the most confusing aspects because I think a lot of people in real estate. So how can sales grow? There's no inventory; it grows, right? It's just. That. I, I mean,
0: it it's one of the confusing things to me because I'm just like, if there are fewer houses to buy, then you would not expect sales to grow. And I guess I guess the quotes is around grow.
1: Yeah, it's just it's just how you know a good example in 2011 it took 105 days to sell a house. Uh, Today, after the existing home sales report, um, 23 days, right? So demand is not that much different from where 2011 or uh, 2023, but the days on market is, right? We as a country um, sell homes faster than back then. And I think those of us that uh, remember how Long it took to get a mortgage done back in the days, you know uh, I mean uh, the the process was hideous, and it sometimes it took thirty to forty five days just to get the loan process done. Uh, uh, so we 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 do things so much faster, we're more efficient on the lending side. We can close deals ten to eleven business days. So you 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 as 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 a country we just sell homes much faster as back then. I think that's the missing link here. Um, uh, and you don't your house if you sell your house within 30 days, you're not going on the active inventory, but your sales grow. So imagine three million more people sold their homes, you know, in a year, and they were never caught upon the active inventory date. And there you could get to see wow, six and a half million existing home sales. Inventory levels were roughly here oh my God, 3.79 million uh, uh, existing home sales inventory is roughly here. Hopefully that explains why you can have a lot more. We're not talking about a couple hundred thousand. We're talking millions of more home sales with inventory levels not changing. It's just that supply and demand equilibrium within the days on marketing and buying and selling homes, which are much faster now than it was back then.
0: So one of the things um, that we've talked about is that we will see like, because people are like, oh, well, if if millions of homes can come off and go, you know, get on and off before they even are registered, doesn't that give credence to the fact that there could be a crash building and no one sees it? Because you always say we're going to see it in the new listings first.
1: We'll see it in the new listings data first. And if it doesn't sell, active inventory can grow. And that's that's how we can capture the data. What occurred last year, after July of 2022, is that when mortgage rates got above 6%, the affordability of this country really just took another leg lower. And you don't list your house. If majority of sellers are buyers, you have to pre-qualify yourself. So if you're looking at, well, I can only buy a house if mortgage rates are 4.75 to 5.5. You don't go, oh, rates are 6.5. I'm going to list my house. And then maybe maybe uh by the time rates come really No, people don't do that. So it was a it was a withdrawal, right? I think this is the thing the Federal Reserve didn't understand because they go, "I don't understand why people didn't sell their homes when rates went up." The entire qualified mortgage of 2010 was designed for this, right? So you have a more functioning marketplace cuz you what happened in 2000 or 2005 was Sales were booming, inventory was growing, right? People list their homes because they could get credit, credit anywhere, anytime you want. Anybody could buy a home. Here it's much different. So I think this is why I always say credit channels run inventory channels. So hopefully, that's going to explain. We will see it in the data new listings, data grows, active inventory grows. But now we get into another topic, which is really interesting. You know, even something like uh, 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 Mike and I discussed this on Twitter. Why is seasonal inventory data so weird? after 2020. right, And we had this podcast uh, February of this year. So I have a theory. This is just my theory. We've had three really abnormal things happen at the end of the year, at the end of 2020, at the end of 2021, and the end of 2022. So let me explain. We have the seasonal bottom in inventory much later than normal right usually january and then february maybe of an inventory growth so we're having bottoms in march and april and some now the uh inventory is is declining later in the year at the end of 2020 we had the COVID 19 recovery makeup demand right so we had this surge in demand toward the end of the year and it's just people making up because you know uh for a few months there nobody did anything that explains 2020 going into 2021 2021 at the end was extremely abnormal because we had mortgage purchase application volume growth at the end of the year. That never happens, right? Rates went lower, demand picked up. And that, again, purchase application data rises 30 to 90 days. That's the sale. Inventory falls down or it's hard for inventory to grow. When you're working from a very low level, these things actually matter. And then last year, Right? 2022 going into 2023, what happened? The 10 year yield peaked at four and a quarter. It went all the way down to about 3.24%. Mortgage rates went from 7.37 to uh, 5.99. It created three months of positive purchase application data November, December, and January. That looks out 30 to 90 days. And it pushed the seasonal bottom in inventory at the longest time ever, April 14th. That's not normal. Usually inventory starts picking up. So now what I want to see is that. It, have we changed the seasonality in inventory, right? That's a discussion some people are having after 2020. I would argue, let's let's have a normal year. Um, uh, but again, if purchase application data starts to rise again because mortgage rates fall, we could have another year in 2024. So I need to test this out with a period in time where demand is an increase with, uh, inventory low. See, when you're, when you're working from higher inventory levels, the equilibrium is different, but when you're working from such low levels, these things actually can move the needle. So that's, that's the one thing I'm waiting for in 2024. Do we have a normal year where inventory starts to pick up January, February, March, and then it declines, uh, seasonally, uh, earlier, you know, uh, August, September, we start to see it back then, uh, uh, that'll be a completely different change to what we had in the last three years.
0: I think looking uh, at things that are going on right now, I think your your desire for a normal year, while totally understandable, seems like it could be a lot to ask, Logan.
1: You know, eventually things do get back to normal. <laughs> Hopefully, um, right uh, again. The, the, we are just we are dealing with something that we've never dealt with a country. We have more people now living in America. We have more working people. And then active inventory broke to the lowest levels ever recorded in history. Okay. So that's a historical event, right? We were always two to two and a half million for decades, decades, with a lot less people working and a lot less people living here. But years 2024, right? This is my period in time. I've been waiting for it for 10 years. This was the worst time in history to have active inventory break to all-time lows. Remember, all that matters is active listings, right? All this shadow inventory, this here, none of that stuff. Active inventory, new listings, data inventory, these are the things that matter. And we just haven't been able to break out of this and get back to normal. And this was always a concern. The whole savagely unhealthy housing market was like, oh boy, you know. at the end of 2020, this is not good. This is not the period in time we want to have active inventory because then we have too many people chasing too few homes. And we see this now, right? 3.79 million existing home sales prints. The days on market is 23 days. Go back to 2011 when sales were down 105 days. We have year over year price growth, right? Because the comps are low, but still prices aren't crashing. Why? Sellers or buyers, inventory, all these things it's different, so we our job is to try to explain this because it, it's confusing. Like a lot of people said, sales. You know, if, if sales crash, home prices have to crash. To a degree, there's there that is a correct premise, but the crash part isn't, right? Not with active inventory this low, not with the days on market this low, not with the distressed sales this low. So hopefully now that we're coming into Thanksgiving. Right, it's easy now. We could read. Right, this is why I always say the beauty of reading. The history of human civilization. Reading is a good thing. And once you read it, your knowledge is there. You don't have to ask some crazy guy running around on Twitter with no name or nothing. You know the knowledge yourself. So hopefully, this tries to explain this because it's it's not normal. It hasn't been more normal. Nothing's been normal. We need to find a way to get back to 2019 total active inventory data, and then with the history of where we are, that's perfectly normal. It's not a normal market until we get there that's why i put that line in the sand Uh, i want to see 30 days days on market over 30 days all year round not having that no longer a teenager that's a good thing but still 23 days is still too too low for my taste and we just got to get inventory back up to a normal level like we've had uh in the previous four decades
0: We've had a lot of variables um, at different times of the year, um not just at the end of the year, that have kept things from being normal, right. We have had a bank failure. Uh, um, among certain kinds of regional banks. We have had the dollar get stronger. We've had international things happen that no one has any control over um, in housing anyway. Uh, We've had a Fed do some pretty interesting things. What do you see between here and the end of the year that you think here is an X factor that we have to watch? That's not some of the things we've talked about already, but like some of those like variables that you don't always see coming.
1: So right now, the currency issues in Japan are calming down. The dollar is coming down. So people go, why do you always talk about the dollar? You do not want the dollar to get too strong. You want the dollar to come down. You want the global bond market yields to work functionally and not get stressed. I don't I don't I don't believe the Fed pivots until the labor market breaks, but if you start to get more favorable statements. Okay, that you know the growth rate of inflation has fallen. We're starting to see credit deterioration on the lower income scales. A lot of people have always said that the Fed is almost in a sense economically racist against low income people because we see the stress in the data now and they keep on saying everything is great. And then the job loss recession happens, which makes the lower income bracket where they say they're helping people actually get worse. If you start to get more Instead of people saying, oh, we have to hike until the recession or you know, the labor market is too tight or, or, or low, low-income workers are making too much money, that's good. If we start to get, okay, you know what? We're done hiking rates and we want to make sure that we're a dual mandate Fed. If you get the Federal Reserve, people start to talk, okay, dual mandate again. That means the labor market is back in, in, in motion. That'll be a positive. That's something we don't really talk about because we always said that the Fed is a single mandate Fed dual mandate Fed bond markets globally start to uh, act more better. The dollar goes down. These things are good for housing. I know it's confusing, but the dollar getting too strong and people's having to sell treasury, it doesn't, it doesn't help everything. But now those things, let's wipe for the last you know five, six weeks of the year and then get ready for 2024. But um, hopefully, I'm hoping the Fed realized it made a mistake. It flew too close to the sun and the bond market let them have it. Knock them on their ass. It's like a wide receiver coming down the middle. You always think, talk so much trash. Once it comes down the middle, you knock them on their ass, and then guess what? He's not coming up. He's not talking anymore. Fed's got to change their language, right? Uh, uh, and not keep everything intact if they care about a soft landing. If they care, right? Everyone's got a different version of what what a soft landing looks like. Those are things that let's see what they say. Uh, um, that could be a positive for housing. That doesn't, it's not something we normally uh, track, in, especially on the tracker data. Those are, those are things that are outside the, the normal data line box.
0: Okay, let's talk about purchase application data. So we are recording this on Tuesday, November 21st. So we don't know what that data is yet, but I want, uh, by the time this airs, people might know what that data is. So tell me what you think.
1: Okay, so now we have a change. 10-year yield fell, mortgage rates fell, purchase application data grew. Now, last year, nobody cared about this. By the way, it was adorable watching some of you people talk about housing and not care about this because this has happened so many times in the last 11 years. If the forward-looking data gets better, you're going to have to go with it, right? We we made so many videos about this last year or early this year. The forward-looking data got better. Nobody cared. Right? So we can't make this mistake anymore. All of you have to know this by now. We've made tons of videos. trying. We did this whole long podcast on how to read forward-looking data. So there's no more excuses. If purchase application data starts to improve, whether it's noticeable or uh, mild or even slow, as long as it improves, the structural dynamics of housing change again, like it did last year. Um, so you want to keep an eye on it. And just remember, the last two weeks of the year and the first two weeks of the year, not much is going on. So we're going to see a dive in the data. And what happened last year is everybody's going, oh, my God, nobody's buying homes. It's Christmas. It's New Year's Eve. Come on. Right? So <laughs> take that into context. This is why I always say the second after the second week of January to the first week of May, that's the seasonal volume. If there's more positive prints than negative on the weekly side, go with it. If there's more negative prints, then you go with it. But we're working from such low levels right now. We're historically low levels that it doesn't take much to move the needle. And if it moves the needle again, like it did last year, we're back to what we happened early in 2023, uh, three, right? Stable demand to rising demand, inventories low, and then we work off of the equilibrium there. So now it's much different because mortgage rates got to 8% recently right? And we saw the negative in the data. We see it in sales. We took a little bit like lower than 4 million. So we even have a lower bar to work with. So this is why forget about yearly forecasts. Don't That's old and slow. You're like some old man walking with a cane going off a cliff. You don't want to do that. Focus on weekly data, forward-looking data. Don't be old and slow. Don't let life pass you by. Take live weekly data, daily data, and go with it. And this way you don't wait. Like all these people like waited until like June and July. They're like, oh my God, housing market, home prices aren't crashing. We were told this. That's like, that was like November and December. What are you doing? So let's focus on the daily weekly data and look out purchase application data. Let's keep an eye on this right especially if mortgage rates keep on going lower if they don't then we'll see the data line stabilize or even go higher but if it goes lower like it did last year all of us saw what happened housing dynamics change it's even more stable now and i think i think when i look at 2023 the one stat i always will remember is that we had mortgage rates go to 8% we had home prices get back to all time highs the slope of the inventory curve is slower and the price cut percentages were lower even all the way up to 8%, we never got to uh, 2022 levels. That is such a huge, important data line. Not a lot of people talk about it, but that to me changes the the marketplace. is more stable and firm in terms of the sellers and buyers that are out there. 2022, historically abnormal. The slope of the inventory curve was so fast. The price cut percentage was so fast. That was the biggest home sale crash ever recorded in history. And now that we have existing home sales, down at 3.79, how is it possible that we have year-over-year price growth? Supply and demand economics, that equilibrium, right? We want to get everybody in this target, in this discussion. So then daily, weekly, we do it and we look forward. And everybody reads Sarah and it's a beautiful thing and we don't listen to the shadow inventory people.
0: <laughs> okay, so you absolutely track weekly data for us on the housing market tracker. You actually you do all those things, but you do put out a yearly forecast. So when you say, you know-
1: "Yes, we put we put out a yearly forecast and again, we we do the construct of what we think could happen in the year." So what do we know? Credit channels are good. That's not a problem. Uh, when we look about what's going to happen, and this is why this is one of the reasons why I've always hated yearly forecasts. If a very big variable changes right there, do you want to be the old man sitting there and going, but in the 2023 forecast, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Evolve. Evolution, right? Evolve yourself to live data. Don't be sitting there like some old man, right? Okay. What is one variable that can change everything? A recession. What is the one thing that can actually break a 30-year fixed payment that has a very low total housing cost? Somebody losing their job. Okay. Now, so many people front-loaded the recession in 2023 and it didn't happen. So they're going to go, it's the lag, it's the lag, it's waiting. Stock traders. Jesus. Let's keep an eye on that 323,000 jobless claim slate. I put these numbers for a reason. Because these are big changes in the economy. So far, that hasn't happened. So if the economy stays firm and rates go lower, you get an idea. But don't get yourself stuck in a forecast because you're old. and slow. It is an is a archaic old dinosaur way to look at economics. You need to be live 24-7, have a working amoeba florid brain system to get all the data and put it in together and go with it. And don't be stuck like a tree. Go with the data, forward-looking data changes all the time. If big variables changes, you go with it. Don't be stuck to yearly forecast. Go with the tracker, weekly data. This is how it's been done since the Peloponnesian War, and it should be done this way.
0: Okay, that was that was amazing. But I am going to have people on social saying that. Oh, you know, Sarah let uh, Logan go on a rant for this one. So there you go. It was a short rant, though. It's pretty short.
1: Nobody has actually seen me do my real rants. That is a thing of beauty. <laughs> Right. <laughs> this is why I want live debates, Sarah. I just want if I could just get people into live debates and have them talk. Boy. They do We've all the bait. They, they do you all the work. They debate. do all the work for me. The the arrogance of people who've never tracked housing in their lives that have never forecasted anything to think they're housing experts. You just get them to talk. And then the more they talk, the more you pop their balloons piece by piece.
0: All right. Well, we are out of time, Logan. Thanks for sharing your insight. We will uh, talk to you again soon.
1: Pleasure, Sarah.
0: Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.